What is up and welcome to the Bruin Bible. All is well in the world, man, man. We have college football coming to us on Saturday. It is beginning to be that type of uh, part of the year, if you will, where we get together, we drop our worries from the work week, and we go and enjoy college football as a collective fan base. I cannot be more excited for this. And uh, I know you are much in the same camp as I am. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Madman in the house. Talk to me, brother. How excited are you that the wait is over? College football is here at our fingertips. And for the next, let's say, give or take four months, we're going to flip on the TV on Saturdays and enjoy not only college football, but, but for my opinion, on the outside, looking in a damn good Bruins team as well. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's. Christmas comes in late August, early September. It, it, that's how I think about it, you know. And then the the real Christmas is the cherry on top. So I just can't can't be more excited. Will it? There's nothing like college football it, for to start your weekend and and those Saturdays, those 13, 14 Saturdays in the fall. There's nothing like it. There's a there's an emptiness I think in our lives for those eight months when. There is no college football, and and so I'm just so excited to have it again. The players, the excitement, the fans, the tailgates, the stadiums, the bands, the uniforms, the fight songs. It just it, there's it's there's something intoxicating about college football, and it, there's something intoxicating about this UCLA team. And so can't wait to see this great team. I think defy expectations in the last year of the conference before a new era begins. So many delicious storylines. Can't wait for this season and, and the success for this team. I love it, man. You described emptiness outside of college football like a long-lost ex, and that's how it feels, man. <laughs> he has arrived back at my door He's via uh, you know, every romantic movie where it's pouring rain outside, and all is forgiven. Everything's ready to go for the college football season, so it's a lot to talk about. And Madman, this is the second year we've done this, so I want to make this an annual tradition moving forward with the Bruins. It's one of my favorite episodes to look forward to throughout the year. Over under predictions for UCLA heading into 2023. We have so much talent, so many players that I think are either being underrated or can really, you know, be record-breaking Bruins at the end of the day. And it's going to be exciting to kind of, you know, lay these arguments out early, see who we like, see who we don't like, and kind of go from there. Madman, I gave you kind of uh, the, you know, the option of doing this show. How excited are you to do the Over Under podcast for our uh, second year now? Second over year. Under 10 out of 10, Will. I'm going to take the over in terms of excitement <laughs> to do this show. So I, I can't wait. And I think what's going to be really fun, Will, is, you know, and we probably need to do it for last year too, is sort of go back and see what our predictions were and then see how it sort of shakes out. So I think that'll be a fun experience on the back end of this but yes i give me the over in terms of excitement i cannot wait this is going to be a really fun show well i had zach charbonnet threatening skip hicks his touchdown record that was my big i remember that i remember that and and frankly will i think there's an asterisk there because if you if you recall chip started charbonnet really slow on purpose to really have him be the workhorse late i think if if charbonnet really if there was an intentionality behind that record you know, Charbonnet's productivity is there. So uh, your your heart and intention was in the right place. Uh, you know, it just it's sometimes three games. circumstantial. It's yeah, three games too, and exactly. had like fourteen to fifteen touchdowns. Last exactly. Year. So it could have been in play for him uh, when all was said and done with a fully healthy season. But man, this is exciting. Are we ready to go through the gauntlet of over under? Are the listeners? Ready to go through the gauntlet. They're not ready. They're not ready. They can't possibly be ready. They need. They have. Get your popcorn out. You know. Get get the coffee out. Get a get a cocktail out. You know. You you know. You may need to just stop the recording right now and you know stretch <laughs> out 
get your favorite sweatpants, your shorts, go on the treadmill. You know, you got to really get ready. You know, I remember it's thriller. It's like uh, Dennis Rodman back in the day on, on the best damn sports show. If you remember when he sort of came oh, yeah. on the show completely drunk and he's like, I'm so ready. I'm ready. And like with his bloodshot eyes. That's where I need our audience to be. That level of ready. Dennis Rodman ready, you know? Man, I had to sift through <laughs> the public appearances of Dennis Rodman being drunk. I was like, that one, the other one, the one after that, the one prior to the Best Damn Sports Show. So much of Dennis Rodman <laughs> when it comes down to that. But let's get into it, man. The first one I have for you is an interesting one, to say the least. It deals with the position that's been talked about the most when it comes to college football. And I think we got to start off on a high note. 3,169 yards passing last year for Dorian Thompson Robinson. Six most in program history and what he was able to put together. We know about the career touchdowns record. We know what he was able to do in getting UCLA back on the right foot. And I know diehard UCLA fans like you and I will always have a large sense of gratitude to what Dorian brought to the program and making us relevant again. I'm not asking for 3,169 yards passing. I am asking for whoever is the starting quarterback, Madman. 2,800 yards over under for the this year's passer, whether it be true freshman Dante Moore or the guy that we believe is his biggest competition, Ethan Garbers, Madman. Give me the loot. Talk to me about it. Over under 2,800 yards passing for UCLA starting quarterback. This oh, what a great number, Will. And, you know, honestly, if you were – what this first exercise has shown is that you could have a tremendous career uh, setting lines in Vegas or <laughs> working in private equity because the, the line <laughs> that you picked is so spot on in terms of where this could go. I think if you break this number down, 2,800 yards – over 12 games are we counting the bowl game or or just you know is, yeah, is that we'll fair throw, game? we'll throw in the bowl game throw in the bowl game so let's say and ucla absolutely will make a bowl game this year if you look at 2800 yards assuming a 13 game season you're essentially looking at about 220 yards per game and so for me that is sort of the magic number in a chip kelly offense i think he would like it to be anywhere between 220 and 240 passing and he would want it to be anywhere between 200, 225 rushing. I think that is sort of the ideal Chip Kelly mix of really having it, you know, sort of the perfect blend of what he wants in terms of balance. And so when you sort of factor it in that way for this offense to be effective, I'm going to go over certainly for Garbers, and I'm going to go over for more as well, assuming oh, okay. it's one of those two. I, I'd be very confident with Garbers just because of his – familiarity his fluency with the offense you and I saw it in spring will we've heard some great things in fall as well I think if it's more he's going to start him a little bit slower in just adopting to the playbook but even in those games where you start a little bit slower you know you're going to talk about 160 175 you're not that far off from 220 and then once he kind of gets in his groove against certain teams that number will go up to 270 280 and what have you so I think he'll eventually net out to right at about 220. So regardless of who the quarterback is going to be for a Chip Kelly offense to be effective and which this one is loaded. And I think given the skill that this team has voted at the running back position to complement the passing game, as well as at the wide receiver position to overcome maybe not the most accurate of throws or maybe catching some balls in traffic. I think the combination of those two things makes me say over 2,800, regardless of whether it is Dante Moore or Ethan Garbers. And I think you're right. And I will say that this team feels run first to start, but you're always going to have those games where you have to throw away the game plan and develop a passing game. Arizona is that game for me this year where I feel like that is going to be an absolute shootout. You're going to have to put up not only points, but points in a fast manner. Because as you know, Arizona led the country in explosive plays last year. Plays of 20-plus yards or more, according to PFF. They're loaded, man. Like Jaden DeLora, uh, T-Mac, Tetaroa McMillan, uh, Wiley, the tailback, coming back. But they have guys. That's a game where I feel like you can't have that back-breaking five- to six-minute drive every drive while running the football. Unless if you have a slight lead or something drastically changes on paper. 
USC, for as much improved as I think they are defensively, I do think they took some steps forward when it came to the personnel that they have there. I'm expecting a full-out offensive shootout in that game. I think it's going to be similar to last year. I think it's going to be similar to the year before where UCLA was putting up numbers in the Coliseum, and we'll be making our return there this year uh, for the final regular season game of UCLA season. You got different teams too. I think Oregon State, they do have a good defense, but I, I expect that game to be a little bit more high scoring than people anticipate, given that they're going to have a little bit more offensive firepower there with DJU as their starting quarterback and whoever they have in their arsenal. So I'm going to hammer the over too. I think when you add the bowl game and it does count towards college stats, it's not like NFL playoff games where it doesn't count towards your regular season, rushing, receiving, passing yards. I think we've got to hammer the over. And I just want to show how impressive this is. I'm looking back at what Brett Hundley did as a true freshman for UCLA. 3,700 yards, 29 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions for UCLA. I mean, that is unbelievable. I think it ranks in the top three in program history in terms of yards in a season. And he did that in his first year starting for UCLA. So, what a special talent Brett Hundley was. We got to give flowers where they're due. Hundley, one of the all-time greats to be a signal caller for UCLA. And, you know, Dante would be lucky to have a career like Brett Hundley. And that's my next transition point, Madman. A lot of chatter, a lot of talk. Who's, who's going to be the first guy going out into the huddle when we play Coastal Carolina at the Rose Bowl? Which, hey, that's another game we could rack up the passing yards, right? I mean, Grayson McCall, one of the – He's, this guy has a chance to break some records in college football coming back to Coastal Carolina. That's not going to be an easy game. So we may be throwing it week one more than we anticipate to try to keep up with Coastal Carolina. But for Dante Moore, Madman, I settled upon this number. I thought 4.5 games started. And this doesn't include mock-up time. We were just talking about Swamp Kings coming into this podcast and how Chris Leak and Tim Tebow were used accordingly where they would have get to the, like the red zone and Tebow would come in and get the flashy touchdown runner, the jump pass that has become iconic within college football. Four and a half starts over under for Dante Moore, Madman. So this is an interesting one, Will. And I, I completely agree with your, your analysis on the prior point. And absolutely. Shout out Brett Hundley. You said it so well, Thriller. It, you know, he was the most celebrated first-year quarterback UCLA has had in terms of productive uh, production. You know, obviously Rosen was very celebrated in terms of hype and what have you, and also had a great freshman season. But, they, you know, UCLA gave Hundley the keys Neuheisel, you know, had sort of nurtured this recruit and then Mora just kind of gave him the keys in a way that no one has been given the keys to in their first year. And, you know, just in terms of everything that he did, it was just a remarkable season. It's the year that put UCLA football back on the map, the year that they went to the Pac-12 title game against Stanford. And so I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll say one last thing about the previous point. Also, Washington State is one of those games with Cam Ward where they're going to need to throw it all over the place. And there's just some games this year in the Pac-12 where you're not going to be able to hold it down and just be able to control uh, the game with the the running game. And, And Will, the last piece of it is if things go to plan, if things exceed expectations and you have a 14th game, with with the Pac-12 championship game, the the chances are it it may be SC again, and maybe a Washington, and maybe an Oregon, and you're going to need to put some points up on the board. So couldn't agree with you on that earlier point. In terms of the number of starts, will it's interesting because to your analogy with Florida, Dante isn't a package quarterback the way Tebow was, uh, you know, and in, in terms of short yarded situation goal line, red zone, and you you sort of did all of this sort of packaged play. Dante is kind of a, hey, I'm ready to go day one. There's no gimmicks here. I'm either the starting quarterback or I'm not. And so that makes the variance of this even higher. I think that we are in a situation where it's going to be over four and a half. And, and here's why I say this. There's a couple of options here. I think it's two out of the three roads lead to this being over four and a half. The first road is he just wins the job outright from day one. And I think 
he's going to go, he's going to take it all the way. I don't think he's going to, if he wins the job day one, I don't foresee a scenario where he loses the job because he's a true freshman and Chip is very consciously going to say, okay, you know, there's going to be growing pains. I want him to work through it over the course of the whole season. So he's going to blast through four and a half at that point. The second scenario is Garbers wins the job, does fine the first three games, and then potentially lays an egg against Utah. And then that causes Chip to make a change. And so if Chip makes a change either the next game after Utah or the game after that, Dante's still going to be above four and a half. The last scenario is obviously if Garber starts and just crushes it all the way through, which certainly as a as a fan of the program, as a benefactor of the program, as, as seeing Garbers want to do really well as an individual as well, we're hoping for. But I think that scenario, Will, out of the three is the least likely, if, if I were to be completely honest. So I think for those reasons, I think more is going to go over in terms of four and a half because I also don't see a scenario where we abandon it and early November more gets the start. It's going to be one of those things where he's either going to get the start earlier and we're going to see this thing through or it's sort of a wait until next year. And and I just the way it's looking, it just seems really close right now. More just nipping on Garbers' heels. It just feels like Moore's going to be the day one starter. Yeah. And, you know, just to clarify, too, I was not comparing the direct situation of Tebow's game of to course. Dante Moore. It was more of like that freshman's so good, we can't keep him off. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Like, so just to kind of reference some of the quarterbacks that we've had that with, you know, your Cade McNamara's, your JJ McCarthy's at Michigan, very split. You know, very split. One would get the first half, one would get the second half. McCarthy got in there and made some plays, eventually won the job down the line. Uh, let's talk about Caleb Williams at Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler. That became a thing. When he came in, they had to pull Rattler against Texas. And then Caleb Williams is the true freshman hero, comes back and leads them back, wins the game. What about Drew Henson and Tom Brady? I mean, Brady was the upperclassman. Yeah. They're all going – this like the tie goes to the upperclassmen, according to Lloyd Carr, but it didn't really go that way until Drew Henson was kind of lost the locker room a little bit with some of his play. So it's going to be really interesting. You and I both know Chip really values those upperclassmen in terms of what he brings to Pac-12 Media Day each and every year and how much respect he has people for staying and sticking with his program. And I mean, he said the words like you're going to have to you're going to have to beat out an Ethan Garbers to get this starting job, which is not an easy task. And I think it's going to be really, really close, but I'm going to go the over as well. I think Dante Moore, he was so close without even coming close to mastering the playbook. In right. Spring. He was head and shoulders, pretty much the only competition I saw that could really challenge Garbers for that starting spot. And even if Garbers does, you know, is the first quarterback out there, that lease is going to be very, very short, you know, because we have, the future of the program, the guy we want to give a lot of experience towards before we head to a superior conference. I mean, we know the gauntlet that is next year, the travel schedule. We go to Death Valley, man. We're playing at LSU. We're playing at Michigan. You want to get this kid some snaps and get ready for the environments he's going to deal with on the road uh, before next season. So I'm going to hammer the over. I think and Will, the one, the one thing I'll say to your point on that is – in the examples that you gave, which were so good, and they're so historical, and I, I remember all of them. I mean, they were so, you know, meaningful. In the case of Brady and Henson, they actually never made – Lloyd Carr never really made a decision until until yeah. sort of the bowl game. I mean, it was kind of crazy, I, you know, and that Brady's last game, that 35-34 victory against Alabama in the Orange Bowl was his greatest college game, and it was really the only game where he actually sort of had the whole team to himself. In the case of, you know, J.J. McCarthy um, and McNamara, I think that was also a situation where Harbaugh was trying to look for separation. I, I don't know if Harbaugh at that time had enough belief in either guy at the stage. And so it was kind of a, I need to see somebody separate. And then I think in the case of OU with, you know, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, I think there was sort of an incumbent effect. And then again, even, even Caleb Williams that year had more than four and a half starts. And I think where it's a little bit different here is 
A, Chip believes in either guy. This, this isn't one of those situations where he doesn't feel like he has a quarterback. He, he feels like he's got two quarterbacks, and, and frankly, he's, he probably thinks he has more than two quarterbacks. So I don't think oh. there's a belief issue. Number two, I think a lot of the coaches that didn't sort of make a decision on quarterbacks outside of Lincoln Riley weren't really offensive guys. You know, when you think about Harbaugh, when you think about Lloyd Carr, passing game isn't the first thing that comes to mind or offense isn't the first thing that comes to mind. And when you talk about Chip, that's the first thing you think of. And you under, he understands the importance of rhythm and of flow and, and those types of things. So part one, I think he's got the confidence. Part two, it's a priority for him to make a decision. But then also, Will, part three, I don't think there's enough variation between Moore and Garbers. It's not like one guy's wildly more athletic or one guy's got a significantly greater arm. You know, when you watch them on the field, they, they, it's about Moore is slightly more athletic. Garbers has a slightly better arm right now because Moore is kind of growing into his body. But it isn't, it isn't one of these situations where it's the difference between a Troy Aikman and a Michael Vick, you know, which oftentimes is causing quarterback controversy because you the offense looks completely different with either guy. Like when you think about Jalen Hurts and Tua, the Alabama offense looked completely different with Tua on the field because he was just such a more dynamic thrower uh, than Jalen Hurts was. And so I think for those three reasons, I don't really see him sort of playing the musical chairs game. I think he's going to make a decision and stick with it. I think so, but I think you made a good point with Utah. Like if they were... Let's say Utah goes complete to crap. Like you, yep. you're down 21 nothing. You get blown out in that game. Offense fails to move the football. If that's Garbers and you have more behind you, oh yeah, way to get in. That there's gonna be a change made there. Oh, so, you know, no, I'm saying I'm saying yeah. he's gonna make a decision and stick with it in terms of like it's your game. Like I'm not gonna like swap quarterbacks in between a game. Like, you know, we're not gonna do musical chairs in a game. Like the, a quarterback can lose his job because of lack of performance and then the switch comes but i don't see this two quarterback system happening at the start of the season i think he's going to make a decision stick with it yeah, yeah. and then there's going to be some performance element where okay i'm sticking with my guy or i'm going to make a change i agree with that i think it's going to come to a fork in the road moment and he's going to commit down yep. the line. so i agree with that point completely the next one i got for you we're moving to a different position group Madman, rushing in terms of rushing the ball, UCLA had a historic season last year. Uh, we led the Pac-12 in rushing for the first time since 1976 to kind of put into perspective the like how good UCLA's rushing attack was. 237 yards a game uh, on average. It was six in the entire nation, and we actually led the country uh, with six with a six yards per carry average uh, last year. So it was very very impressive what UCLA was able to cook up when it came to the run game. And that leads me to my first point. And I, the guy I believe is our running back number one, TJ Harden, man. We know anyone that's watched those practices, watched the end of last season. I think Carson Steele is going to be a fine compliment, but he's not TJ Harden. And TJ Harden is going to be RB number one to anyone that's watched, to anyone that's been following. But I do think it's going to be a loaded running back room. So I want to tame his rushing yards a little bit more appropriately 1100 yards over and under for our guy tj hart well i think it's i think it's going to be over frankly i think that it'll be one of those i think harden's season is going to be one where he's going to get more than 50 percent of his yards in the second half of the season i think it's going to be one of those at the start of the season you and i have seen it up front he to me is clearly rb1 and in just in terms of everything that he can do, I think it's going to be a little bit more by committee at the start of the season. One, because let them separate on the field. B, I think because of the level of competition, at least those first three weeks of the season, and certainly two of those first three weeks of the season, it's going to be by committee. And you hope that there's enough separation in the game where you can get a lot of guys different touches. So I think he's going to slow into the game. I think, again, as, as meaningful as that game is, we sort of go back to that Utah game. On the road, you want to control tempo against a, a veteran quarterback like Cam Rising. That will be the game 
where Chip will, I think, really load in and lean in to TJ Harden, and he's going to start getting more and more yards. And then the 100-yard games are starting to pile up. And then again, you look at this situation, Will, 1,100 yards over 13 games. You know, you're, you're talking about at that point 85 to 90 yards a game and where he's got to average. So assuming he stays healthy, and assuming he has a couple big games down the line, which we know he will, especially against some teams that struggle against the run. We talked about the big passing games, but games against Cal, games against Stanford, down the line where there's going to be some challenges, even the likes of an Arizona, even the likes of a Washington State, those teams have always been historically light in the box. So given, given that situation, I think it's going to be, uh, 1100 over TJ Harden will be RB one and the RB one will go over 1100 yards. And just to clarify what he was able to finish with last season, 23 carries, 200 yards flat, two touchdowns. in those last yep. games. That if you, you know, round up is about a nine yards per carry average. Yeah. Like that is absolutely insane. What he was doing for UCLA at the end of last season and saved us in that Cal game should have saved us in that pit game as well. Uh, unfortunately, Nick Patty, man, really looked like a Joe Burrow-esque performance. Patty I, Cake. I will Patty never get cake, over that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll never get over that, man. Uh, no, Nick, Nick Patty, Patty looking like Joe Burrow and Cam Newton out there. Absolutely. And I think that's why we're so excited about the start of the season, just so we don't have to think about that game anymore. My goodness. But, get you know, Will, taste. just the, the, the additional point there is Chip's never had a season, even all the way back to his first season at UCLA, where his lead running back hasn't at least had 1,000 yards. And so if you believe TJ Harden's the lead running back, there's no indication to say he's not going to get to, you know, 1,100, which is, which is right close to 1,000, just given his skill set. And I want to make a point, too, before we transition, is I've seen a lot of online talk. And I, you know, was a lot of people chimed in on my opinion, where at the college level, I believe this UCLA defensive line can be the best, you know, that we've ever had as a complete unit. I know a lot of people brought up some pro production and players such as your, you know, Kenny Clarks and your Anthony Barrs, Eddie Vanderdez. Eddie Vanderdez got injured in the first game of 2015. So I don't yep. even want to hear that argument. And, you know, I also saw all-time Bruin teams listed out. Maurice Jones-Drew, phenomenal NFL career, you know, all-time Bruin in a lot of ways. Zach Charbonnet had a better career. Maurice Jones Jr. on the ground like Maurice Jones Jr. had three seasons and he only rushed over a thousand yards once so like I want to really tame expectations there like he was great and his only thousand yard season was a thousand and seven yards so like it wasn't like it was like a 1500 1700 yard rushing season he was a phenomenal talent you saw with the all-purpose stuff but put some respect on Zach Charbonnet's name that is Terminator through and through we are it was no it's a great point Will I you know the one thing I'll say is MJD was on better teams and better offenses. And when you look at like 05, Drew Olson, you know, Drew Olson's stats in 05. 34 touchdowns. They, you know, exactly. And when you talk about the yards and the touchdowns and you just talked about that offense, there were a lot of mouths to feed on that team between, you know, the likes of Mercedes Lewis and Junior Taylor and, Marcus Everett, and there were a lot of dudes on that team, both at the running back and the wide receiver position. Last year's team, I don't think, had quite the offensive passing firepower that those MJD teams had. So there's a usage rate argument there as well, and I think MJD was also extremely spectacular. And so people remember, you know, the, like the 322 yards and five touchdowns against Washington. I mean, that's probably still the greatest uh, individual rushing performance in, in the history of UCLA. So, you know, there's nuance there. I completely agree with you. I think statistically, of course, Charbonnet did better, but sometimes we have to contextualize those stats. I think they're both phenomenal. I do give the edge to Charbonnet, but I do think it's closer than, than people realize because I think there's also kind of this recency bias where it's, hey, just because it happened last year or two years ago, we sort of forget what happens five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So, I, I understand it. I still think you're right, Thriller, where it's, it's Charbonnet had the better output in terms of stats. But there is, it's important to recognize some of that contextualization. I think with MJD, if you want to say return man, like punt returner, hands down, like he led the nation in return yards that year. And he was, I mean, he was spectacular too. I don't want to take anything away from him. 
But, man, if you get Charbonnet for those three games last year, he's 1,500 yards plus. Yep, yep. He's has one of the greatest rushing seasons we've ever had. So, you know, in terms of context, like that matters that he missed. Three absolutely. Games absolutely. Like, that, matters. that matters that he put up 14 touchdowns and missed three games left on the shelf. Like this guy, this guy, Zach Charbonnet's don't grow on trees. Is my no, they don't. This. So we will be moving to the wide receiver room and madman. We went to a bunch of spring practices and the star player, when it came down to what we were able to witness was J. Michael Sturdivant. I mean, there was practices where this guy was scoring four, five touchdowns apiece. The hype was there, man. I mean, this is a guy that has an NFL body really produced in a Cal offense last year that you look at the numbers and you look at the games played and it's very, very impressive. 65 catches, seven touchdowns, 755 yards last year when it came to the wide receiver position for Cal, who is, you know, a bottom three team within the Pac-12 as a whole, what do you think he can possibly do with a Chip Kelly offense where he's, you know, playing now for a genius when it comes to that side of the football? I want to be respectful when it comes to this because I think I think this is a run-first team. And I do actually believe, this is my hot take, that Kyle Ford may have more catches because he's more of a possession guy than Sturdivant, who is more of a deep threat in my opinion. But give me your opinion on this. I went over under a thousand yards flat for J. Michael Sturdivant in eight and a half touchdowns. That's a that's a and again, great line. I mean, it's it's right there with with Vegas and private equity. Again, thriller strikes again. I it is interesting because I agree with you. I think that. This is a, a run first team that, that really, again, predicates on balance. It's sort of a 220-220 is sort of the ideal. 230-230 is, is the ideal. So when you break down the average number of yards in a game is 225-230, to say one guy is going to get 80 or 90 yards you know, out of that, you know, is one guy is going to get 33% of all the passing yards for the whole season, you know, that feels a little high just given – how Chip sort of plays the game. Even when you think about Bobo last year, Will, Bobo only had 200-yard games the whole season last year. And and one of those games was Oregon. It was clear garbage time where he got a, a lot of his yards to go over 100. So he really only had, it was the Washington game, was his only 100-yard game in, where it really sort of mattered. And obviously, I think Sturdivant is a is a greater athlete than Bobo is. But, you know, there's some, some similarities there. I'm going to go under on both i think it'll be i think sturdivant will be probably in that 850 to 950 in that range he's just gonna miss and i think he's gonna be right at seven to eight touchdowns and i think that ford will probably get a, a six to seven touchdowns and another 700 ish 750 ish yards and i think that's kind of where it'll shake out but i think on any one given night sturdivant can go for 100 150 two touchdowns and be absolutely spectacular. So I don't think it's a, this isn't really a measure against anything J. Michael Sturdivant can't do, because I truly believe he's the best wide receiver prospect UCLA has had since J.J. Stokes. It's been 30 years, and I think just in terms of size, speed, just the whole package, he has it all. He's going to be an NFL draft pick. He's going to be an early NFL draft pick. He's an absolute stud. I think this is more just a function of, what Chip wants to do in terms of balance and, and to your point, Will, having the run game involved. So I'm going to go with Sturdivant, 850 to 950 and seven to eight touchdowns. So he's going to be slightly under on both counts. I think that's fair. And I'm with you on the touchdowns. I don't think he can get to nine touchdowns this year, just knowing what the passing attack is, unless if, you know, Dante puts up a Brett Hundley like here, as we previously discussed. However, I'm going over on the thousand yards. And I'll tell you why. We have not had a deep threat like this in some time. So even if he does get those smaller target shares where it's three or four catches, I'm expecting like 80 to 90 yards out of those. I mean, we saw it. Nobody could guard this guy deep. Like you, he has take the top off the speed defense. This guy is a track star. His, his mom, I believe, was a Olympic sprinter. Like this is what we're getting with a guy like J. Michael Sturdivant. So – I'm under on the catches if you were comparing it to last year's 65. I'm under on the touchdowns, in my opinion, on 8.5. 
but there's going to be that play is going to be open and he's going to be hitting some long, long plays that are going to lead to either UCLA scores or, you know, maybe upset victories down the line with some big time plays and performances. So give me for the over. I'm locking that in slightly under on the touchdowns. That's my, that's my J Michael Sturdivant kind of prediction. You know, Kyle Ford may have more catches and touchdowns than him. If you look at the red zone, you know, threat he can be with that huge body and size that he has and more of a possession guy. But Sturdivant, thousand yards, book it. That's my that's my hot. And take. you know, Will, what's what's interesting is asking the question about Sturdivant in disguise is actually asking the question about the offensive line. And so it's it's to your point, because he is such a significant deep threat. You know, obviously the deeper plays take more time to develop. So it's the belief also and how quickly is this offensive line going to round into form and have the journey that they did similar to last year? And also, how well are the backups going to develop? How well is that depth going to progress and how injury free they can be? Because it's so much of Sturdivant's performance is going to be actually even more than who the quarterback is. It's going to be correlated to the offensive line. Because if the quarterback doesn't have time to be comfortable, set his feet, the ball's just not going to go further. And so that is going to be the fascinating play there, that if the offensive line exceeds expectations, and we had a whole episode on them, if they kind of hit that growth curve that hopefully they reach and get to that journey that they did last year, it sets up Sturdivant even more for success. And so there's this interesting correlation that will take place where the better the offensive line is, the better Sturdivant's numbers are. The worse the offensive line is, the better Ford's numbers are. And so that's going to be kind of the interesting interplay moving forward. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to watch that guy take the top off defenses all season long for your UCLA Bruins. What a gift, man. Next guy up, maybe the preseason defensive player of the year within the Pac-12, Liatu Latu. Ten and a half sacks last year, 12 and a half tackles for a loss. And maybe the most impressive thing of all, was he basically picked football back up after two years of not being able to play or participate whatsoever due to a, you know, a medical retirement that has since been revised. So I want to read you a quote that was at Ben Bolch's Los Angeles Times piece. He goes, 15, the redshirt senior said Friday at Pac-12 Media Day at Resorts World Las Vegas. I want to get every single quarterback multiple times in terms of his prediction. I love it. this season. I'm not going to say over under 15, but I am going to say over under 13, 13 sacks. That's right where Anthony Barr was at 13 and a half, which is the second greatest statistical sack number behind Ball back in the early 2000s for UCLA. Madman, does he get to 13 over under? Where do you lie with Liatu Latu? So, Will, this is an interesting one. And I think that, again, like the last one, I think there's sort of an interplay here. Latu is going to have a phenomenal season. Latu is an absolute stud. And he is going to get his share of sacks, impact, massive plays, highlights. He's, he's a game changer for this team. He's the most dynamic defensive player on this team. And he's going to thrive as an NFL draft pick moving forward. And he's revived his career in a way that is inspiring both on and off the field. And you and I have sort of talked about this on air as well as off air. His story isn't told enough to to your words, Will. And so any opportunity that we get to shine his story to our viewers, I I love to take with open arms just because of what an inspiring young man he is. I think what's going to be interesting about Latu's season is he came on last year with no expectations, relatively unknown I think offenses weren't really expecting Latu to be Latu, especially after you know the previous two years of really being out of football. I think that offenses are going to be expecting Latu, and they're going to be shading their blocking schemes more towards Latu. It's going to be it, it, you know the equivalent here. Will is a great NBA player. You shade your defense over. The doubles come a little quicker. You know, you're just more aware of that individual. You want them to feel your presence a little bit more. It's a little bit different when you, you know, now that you have film on the person, right? And so for me, I think given all of that, I think Latu's impact on the defense is going to stay the same or even increase. But I think in terms of direct sacks, 
I'm actually going to go under because everyone's going to be shading over. Now, having said that, I think who's going to finish second in sacks this year? Is it going to be a higher number than the second in sacks last year? Because I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities on the other side of the field for other guys on the weak side to be able to get to that quarterback because everyone is so focused on Latu and they're going to be shading over. So I think his impact, again, is going to be out. I'm going over on impact, but I'm going under on number of sacks. And if I was playing devil's advocate, here's where I'd come. I don't know if 13 is a reachable number. I think you have to be the rare of the rare to do that. I'm not saying Latu isn't. But, man, that's a tough number. you got to have a lot of luck go your way, too, to get to those 13 stats. It's one a game, Will. It's exactly one a game, you know? It's crazy. And where I would argue with that is I'm all in on this defensive line, man. It's going to be better. It's going to be the best version Chips had there. With the last version we saw of Jay Toya was the best version we saw of him, who I believe is going to take his game to the next level this year, become an NFL legitimate prospect. Into November last year, there was an underrated stat that PFF had with PFF uh, pass rush grades and rushing uh, grading against rushers. There were two players with a plus 80 in both of those categories. One was Will Anderson, third pick in the draft. Number two was Grayson Murphy. So, like, I just mm-hmm. want to put that out there. Grayson Murphy, special, special talent. Gabriel Murphy, they're in year two of the system now. They're comfortable yes. at Westwood, which is a scary Sight for the rest of the people around. Keanu Williams came in there, was very disruptive in spring practice. Former four-star talent, Oregon player, Gary Smith coming back in the middle. Oh, Grant Bucky built like Aiden Hutchinson 2.0 in a lab. Bring him out there as well. He's a true freshman. Decommitted from USC. Get on this kid, guys. I, if, if you're putting more effort on shifting the focus towards Latu, which I think a lot of teams will, the rain's going to come in a variety of different ways, and it's going to be pouring out there. So I think teams are going to do that, but the other argument I make is I think our out-of-conference schedule is sneaky underrated, dude. Like, Coastal Carolina won nine games, and their best players are back from last year. San Diego State is looked upon as the non-Power 5 darling for this year, a team that can legitimately threaten 10 wins. These aren't games where, like last year against South Alabama, you know, or uh, Alabama State, excuse me, where – we pulled our starters after like two drives. Like these guys are going to be playing four quarters of football, I feel like. So they're going to have ample opportunities to do it. 13 sacks. I am not going over on that madman. I will say over 10 and a half. I think he's going to surpass his number from last year, 11 and 11 and a half. Do you think that's a fair assessment on lot? Yeah, well, I think he's going to be right there. I think it'll, it'll probably be, I think the number for me is, is, is 11, I think is going to be right where he's at. And it's, it's so interesting that you mentioned the schedule and it's a double-edged sword there, right? Because against weaker competition, what happens? Presumably you're going to jump out ahead really early and the opposing team is going to pass a lot more because they're behind a lot more. So you're going to get a lot more opportunities in that period of the game, but then you're going to get pulled, you know, midway through the third, right? So you're getting more reps to the quarterback, but it's a shorter game. In a game where, let's say, the competition is greater and the game extends, yes, you play four quarters, but because the game is close, because the game is competitive, the run is still very much at your disposal and being balanced is very much at your disposal. So the opportunities to rush the quarterback are actually fewer in a game like that, but you have the whole game. So it's kind of interesting. Sometimes it is a little bit of a catch-22 where I think in the end it'll kind of net out a little bit, and I completely agree with you, Will. He's going to have a phenomenal year, and that's why I said I'm over on the impact because it's going to open the doors up for the Murphy Twins and Keanu and Toya and, and down the list we go, but I think it's going to be hard to get to that 13 number, and I think it's also going to just be a challenge to up his year last year, just given not just teams sort of shading to him, but the pressure, the expectations, you know, there's a lot to manage this year. Got you. Well, I like it. I think he's going to surpass his sack total from last year, which is always a good thing to be moving in the right direction. So Latu will be a threat for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Keep it on the defensive side of the ball. Darius Muwasau was named a preseason first team all Pac-12 selection at linebacker. We saw it in spring. 
This guy could not wait to hit anything out there that moved on the football field. He was ready. Chip had to strain him in a couple times. Darius, he would be howling out in the practice field, you know, not to touch his running backs and his prized recruits coming out there. 91 total tackles last year. And this is actually a downturn from him historically as the two previous years he had at Hawaii, he had 100 plus in 2020 and 2021. Does he crack a hundred tackles? We're going to go 99.5 right here. And it's tough because of how deep that linebacking room is where they can rotate out with them with, I would, which I would challenge the best on the West coast among any team, which is how deep that room is. Does he get back to the hundred tackle club and making it a third time in his college career that he's able to do that? Matt? Well, this is such a great question because in many ways it relates to the J. Michael Sturdivant question. Remember how we talked about how the offensive line is dependent on Sturdivant's performance? I think that the, the Moasau number of tackles is actually dependent on the secondary. Why did Moasau get fewer than 100 tackles last year? Oh, because one game, Stefan Blaylock had 17 tackles against Oregon. I mean, we had games like that last year where the linebackers were just completely neutralized and sort of sucked into the point of attack. And the secondary was, you know, on islands and balls were just kind of getting peppered in those big games, notably Oregon, SC, et cetera, down the line. So I think this is going to be a function of how much better the secondary is going to be in terms of containment, but also how much better that defensive line can actually get a push, right? The problem in some of the big games last year was the lack of push by the defensive line forced the linebackers to suck up and really kind of make it a front seven to try and generate any sort of pressure, which left the middle of the field wide open where you have all the prime tackling locations. And it had to be the, the safeties and the corners had to pick up that slack in terms of tackling where the linebackers are supposed to be. So to your earlier point, given that you have a pass rush with Latu, with the Murphy twins, Toya's there, Keanu's there, it, even Carl Jones, you know, is going to come in and rush the passer. You're in a situation now where presumably you're going to get much more of a pass rush with just the front four, which then leaves the linebackers with more opportunity to be linebackers and really sort of contain the middle of the field. And so as a result of that, I think Moasa is going to go over 100 and get back to sort of where he was pre-UCLA because it's more of a product of scheme of what's in front of him and what's behind him more so than anything he did. I think was spectacular last year. So it wasn't necessarily that he had a drop off. He probably was better than he was the previous two years because he was against better competition and he balled out. But now the fact that I think containment at the line, as well as in the secondary is going to be more disciplined. He can just be a linebacker and have more opportunities to tackle. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to go significantly over. Wow. I love the pick. I think, you know, just with what you presented with the secondary kind of sneaking up and taking some of those tackles with Blaylock, Jordan Anderson could tackle too. You know what I mean? So that's going to be kind of a, a fun nugget to watch in terms of how many tackles he gets per game. But I actually am kind of leaning towards your Latu point where impact, it's higher. It's a higher, you know, uh, level of play we will see from Muwasau this year, similar to what you said about Latu. I just think this linebacking room is too deep. I just think there's not enough, you know, uh, you know, food in the kitchen for everybody to just yeah. eat at a hundred plus tackle rate because Oladeja, man, like he, he looks like the guy that I think is going to flip a switch this year and really become a coveted NFL draft prospect. If he reaches the ceiling, John, John Vaughn's already there. He was named to the preseason senior bowl watch, which is the premier bowl game. There is, oh yeah. Kane Madrano's coming back. You know, he's going to be rotating in there. Carl Jones will be dropping back there every now and then. So it's just, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yep. And I could see Muwasau maybe even having like a little bit less than tackles he had last year. But those tackles are going to be huge plays that, you know, force third downs into punts and, you know, really make critical stops when necessary where we'll have to, you know, get the punting return unit out there. But I'm going to go slightly under, man. Do you think that's a crazy statement? No, no. I, I, I love the argument. I think that, obviously, it's there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So I love that point. I mean, particularly Oladeja, right? I mean, he's the stud that can do no wrong. I mean, in terms of just 
there's probably going to be some moments where they're going to compete for who's going to get the tackle and who can kind of get there first, who's got the longer stride, who's got the stronger, you know, hands and arms and what have you. So I think it's going to be really fun in that regard. I think, you know, so where we differ is I think we're both right. And I think that the, the situation here is just going to be opportunities. And so the question now will be, will the number of opportunities that the secondary and the front four present outweigh the number of opportunities that maybe his fellow linebackers take away. And so I think it's going to be really a function again of plays and how much this defense is on the field. And I think in particular, it's going to come down to those earlier games that you mentioned, Will, the USC's, the Arizona's, the Washington States, the Oregon States, the Utah's, how many, how quickly can those, uh, you know, units get off the field? You know, where, where can you kind of steal a three and out? Where can you sort of steal a stop? In the red zone, I think that's what it'll come down to. I think if he goes over, it'll be, you know, 106, 107. If he's under, you know, to your point, he'll be somewhere in the high 80s. But it's we're talking about maybe 85 to 105 is sort of where his number is going to be. And I think that variance of 20 is going to come down to opportunities and how much the defense is on the field. So I, I totally understand the argument makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it could come down to maybe us playing in the Pac-12 championship. Game. Exactly. You know, you yeah, get the magical the magical 14th game right there. Absolutely. All is well with that 14th game thriller. It's very much in play, Bruin fans. We've got to keep our hopes and optimism alive for this season. Two more big questions for you, and then we are signing off from the second annual Over Under podcast for UCLA Bruins and the Bruin Bible. Five Bruins were named to preseason Pac-12 accolades. Darius Muwasau and Latu uh, were first team, uh, all defense. And then Carson Steele uh, was second team, all Pac-12 running back with, I believe it was Duke Clemens and Garrett DiGiorgio being honorable mentions. I believe that was kind of a slap in the face to the rest of the roster. I'm going to actually pivot this. And it's this is not even honorable mentions. This is just first, second, or third team. Five and a half Bruins. Five and a half Bruins on first and second and third team. All Pac-12 for this year, Matt. Thriller, I think it's, I think it's close. Uh, again, you know, you've, you've done it really well yet again. I think if I were to break it down, I think Muasau is a slam dunk. I think Latu is a slam dunk. I think Sturdivant is a slam dunk. I think Harden is a slam dunk. I think those are the four. Now the question becomes Oladejao, one of the Murphy twins, Toya, you know, two of those three guys, are they going to be able to make it? I really like Toya's opportunity to make an all-pack 12 team because I think he's just going to complement everything that Latu and the pass rush is doing with that run-stopping ability. So I love Toya at five. And then it comes down to, you know, is it Oladijau? Is it one of the Murphy twins? I think that it'll ultimately be Oladijau will be the, the, the sixth and UCLA will go over at six and then have a couple of honorable mentions. But I think it's going to be very special this year that the number of folks that make an all-pack 12 team for UCLA, the defense is going to outnumber the offense. And I think the defense is going to double up the offense, which is something you never say. In, in certainly in the Chip Kelly era of UCLA football, where we've always thought offense first. So I'm going to go four on defense, two on offense, and that's going to be my six and ultimately over. Yeah, I've got the over as well, man. And you named some good guys. I believe that, you know, your Latus, your Mawasaus, Sturdivant, I don't know if it's going to be first team, maybe not even second team, just given how deep this conference is in receiver. I mean, look at Washington, look at USC, look at some of these schools. I do think he gets that third-team spot. Yeah, uh, He's just not going to have this pure statistical output that some of those other guys will have. But I'm hammering the over, man. I, I think Duke Clemens is slept on as a center. I actually think if this line can get to a similar level where it was last year, I think there's no doubt in my mind a guy that's had 30-plus starts to his name a guy that's comfortable in this offense is going to be named to that list. I would also put Spencer Holstage there as well, because I think Holstage, you know, we talked yes. about this in our O-line preview. Yes. This guy could be a future NFL player on the offensive line. So Holstage could be there. There's not two to three running backs better than TJ Harden in the conference, Correct. in my opinion, when he's going to be running at full steam ahead. So Bucky Irving's the one name that it really comes to mind from Oregon. I think he may not finish first team, but second or third team, I think Harden's going to be there. And then, man, 
Like, I actually think one of the Murphy twins is going to make it. I liked your Toya pick. I think Toya is going to be second or third team. So I'm, I'm talking about like seven, eight guys right now. If this is the year that we make the Pac-12 championship, the final season of its existence, I think, I think we've got to make it, man. I think it is what it is. And then that leads us to our last question on the Over Under podcast, Madman. UCLA's win total by Vegas. I'm not going to go by Vegas. Eight and a half, which I think it's a slam dunk over. Like that would be one of the safest overs that we have. I'm going to raise it up a little bit for you in this situation. No Oregon, no Washington to kind of refresh our fan base. No cakewalk out of conference, despite maybe not some major names there that you may know of as football fans. I'm going to go nine and a half. This is the year that we get to 10 wins. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a real shot at getting to 10 wins. What is your opinion when it comes to UCLA at the nine and a half mark? Yeah, well, I, I love the the line there in terms of where you've set it at nine and a half. Here's how I think about the season. And, and you and I have sort of talked about this a little bit. If you look at the 12-game regular season, UCLA is going to be favored in nine of them. And there's going to be nine, nine games where they're favored, three games where they're underdogs. The three games where they're underdogs, Oregon State, at Oregon State, Utah, at Utah, at USC. Those are the three games that they're underdogs. They're going to be favorites and everything else. The way I see it, UCLA is going to get one game that they're an underdog. They always get the one game they're not supposed to get. But on the flip side, I see them dropping a game they're supposed to get. And whether that is Arizona, whether that is Washington State, whether that might even be San Diego State, there may be one hiccup there. And so when you go net-net, I think it'll be a 9-3 and three regular season. And if you go 9-3 and three on the regular season, you know, obviously if things break and they, they take care of business and kind of do what they're supposed to, you're talking about 10-2 and two now, 7-2 and two in the conference, and depending on the tiebreaker scenarios, you're in the Pac-12 championship game with one of those slots. But I think if I'm just being completely objective overall, over-under, they're just going to play to who they are I think it'll be a nine and three, six and three in the conference. That will ultimately net them, assuming a Pac 12 team makes the playoff, which there is a possibility there. This, year, oh, will this yeah. year will potentially will happen. I agree with you, Will. Everyone slots up one. So I think a nine and three, six and three ultimately puts you probably in the Alamo Bowl if you're UCLA at that point. And then I think UCLA will prevail against a Big 12 team in the Alamo Bowl. 10 and three, six and three in the conference, Alamo Bowl champions, and ultimately get to over. I'm hammering the over. And forgive me if we beat Utah on the road to start this season. Because if that, if we beat Utah, the only team I'm scared of is USC, the team across town after that. If we beat Utah at Rice Eccles in Salt Lake City, this team can win 10 or 11 games easy For sure. before the bowl game. Before the bowl game. And it, it, there's got to be some variance too with Garbers and Dante Moore because as much as I love Dante and I'm excited about his future, you have to live with some of the freshman mistakes he's going to do. You know when he trots out there, I think that's a huge, you know, question that a lot of people aren't talking about when it comes to what he brings to the table. There may be some games where you know he's learning, he's learning on the job. He may cost us a game or two in the process just because we're trying to give this kid experience going out there. I think with Garbers, in a way, just knowing he's a veteran, he's played in big-time college football games before. You know, he was our starter when we went to Utah when Dorian got hurt two years ago. He was our starter, you know, when we played or, or you know, he filled in for Dorian at the end of that Oregon game. He's been in some big situations. He came in for the Sun Bowl at the end of the game. So he's been in some big-time games. I think there's less room for error, weirdly enough, with a guy that's been there, done that, sure. has worked the offense for four years as opposed to a guy that's going to be, you know, going into college football his first time. So that's where the variance lies. But I would hammer the over. I believe this is the year. I think UCLA is going to have a real shot at the Pac-12 title. I believe that in my heart. This is not just some fan site, you know, when people talk about us predicting UCLA to do well. We're deep at every position. And if that offensive line can get fortified, we don't really have any holes on this team. You know, there might well, be teams that are more naturally talented, but not a lot of holes on this team. Absolutely. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think here's the key is that UCLA's got a schedule break this year. And there's just a reality there. There's a softer schedule than 
what others have in on this conference. When you take Oregon and Washington out of the equation, you don't have a top 15, two top 15 teams. You don't have one of those top 15 non-conference games this year. Look, I mean, a couple of years ago, even though LSU was a down year, LSU was a big non-conference game. A Jake Hayner at Fresno State. You go back a few years before that, Texas A&M coming to town, going on the road to Texas A&M. You don't have that big marquee non-conference game. No disrespect, Coastal, NC Central, San Diego State, they're all going to be tough games, but UCLA is going to be significantly favored there. So when you take out three big game opportunities, now you have that room to grow, Will, to your point. And so it really is only three games out of the 12 where you're an underdog. And so if you can even grab one of those three games, and just have the discipline to not have the letdown this year. That's the key to me. It's not even so much how this team plays in those three games. It's how they approach the professionalism and discipline in the other games. How do we avoid the Arizona the Arizona of last year? How do you avoid the Fresno State of the year before? How do you avoid that ultimate letdown game? Because if you just sort of take care of business and win the games you're supposed to, and you steal one, 10 and 2, 7 and 2, Will, to your point. If you if you either get Utah or you get Oregon State, SC looks very strong this year to your earlier point. Depending on where the tie breaks fall, in a year where there's five top 15 teams in the Pac-12 you know, overall in, in terms of jockeying for position, everyone's going to be kind of beaten up on everyone. It'll come down to tie breaks, and you have a clear path to the Pac-12 championship game. So I completely agree with you there. UCLA's you know, biggest enemy is going to be themselves this year and just overcoming the discipline to take care of business. But if they do that and they win the games that they're supposed to, this is a 10-win regular season given the way the schedule breaks down. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see because I think you're absolutely right. Utah's early, right? One of the three games is early. If, if it was sort of game seven, game 10, game 12, if all three of those games kind of fell in the second half, I think the probability of Dante Moore starting day one is even higher because he's going to have six games to kind of work into it. The fact that the Utah game is early in the first third of the season, that to your earlier point, Will, really opens the door potentially for, for Garbers to, to really have well, this battle. Played on the road at exactly. that stadium. At, at that stadium. At that That's stadium. A, which for is the last the time. For the last time. And, you know, go ask. Go ask SC fans how loud that place can be, you know, in terms of when oh. they got it going. I mean, so it, it, it's really sort of a fascinating question. And I think that's also going to be part of the calculus with Chip about who the starting quarterback is going to be. So lots to kind of think about there, Will. But I agree with you. If they can just take care of business, this is 10 wins in the regular season with an opportunity for an 11th in the Pac-12 championship with potentially an opportunity for a 12th in a bowl game. I mean, it, it really could be a 12-2 and two Rose Bowl championship historic type of season um, if they play their cards right. And if you're charting the success of the program and how it's had an uptick, we're keeping that uptick going this year. You know, I think I actually think this is the year that we're going to at least tie, maybe surpass the all time wins record at UCLA, which is 10 games. Madman, this was a blast, man. Thank you for joining me as always for. You know, just a, a fun preview for the season, man. I cannot wait for college football to start. I mean, we're going to be texting up a storm watching these UCLA yes, sir. games. We'll be tailgating out some of these UCLA yes. games. So, guys, come on out. Uh, we'll have a lot more, uh, you know, details when it comes to the tailgate scene. But any closing thoughts on the second annual over-under UCLA Bruins Bruin Bible podcast. Will, first of all, it's just it's really special that football again is upon us. This is going to be a great year. We got all the coverage here between you and me and, you know, the the podcast, the writing, the whole deal. It's going to be end-to-end -end UCLA coverage this year. Last year the Pac-12 so much to be excited about and Bruin fans get to the stadium. Let's let's get out there. Let's make a lot of noise early in the season. As alums, as boosters, as just overall fans, school isn't in session until end of September. So let's take the gauntlet and, and carry the torch here a little bit for the students before they arrive. Let's get out there. Let's pack the Rose Bowl. Let's show this team some love and support. And let's give them that momentum that they believe they can go all the way because it's through our support uh, that really matters. Will, you and I have talked to so many of the players in the offseason here 
being in that Rose Bowl, that energy, feeling the Bruin community, it matters. They, they love it. It's one of the reasons they pick UCLA. And so you each make a huge difference uh, to the success of this team by supporting this team through the LA Football Network, supporting this team through attending, tailgates, the whole deal. Let's all be a committed fan base and see this team through because this can be a very, very special season. Can be a very, very special season indeed. It's great day to be alive and be a Bruin, Mad Mad. We'll sign off with that. Bruin Bible, we are officially out. Let's freaking go. College football is back. Bruin Bible listeners, we've got a special sponsor uh, for today's episode. It is AG1. AG1 has been something that I've really enjoyed using in my spare time. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole-source food nutrients in one scoop that you can use into your water. You stir it up. I use it before my workouts, before I start my day, and it has totally given me the energy I need to do the little things in life, like going to work, getting extra, you know, an extra boost, a second wind, if you will, for a workout. Before I play pickleball with my friends, just it puts you in a good spirit of mind, and you know you're doing the healthiest possible thing by putting AG1 in your body. Make sure to check us out and get a special deal with the Bruin Bible. It's www.drinkag1.com slash Bruin Bible to get the special deal that we provide. Once again, www.drinkag1.com slash Bruin Bible to get that special deal. Now, back to the Bruin Bible. 